0: John chapter 20, I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about new creation, picked up where we left off last week. Uh, How many of you guys were here um, last week for Easter? Wasn't that fun? Yeah, I got in the new creation river that morning and I stayed there pretty much all week, so it's really good. So we want to pick that up again this morning. Um, Now I feel like I'm forgetting to tell you something. Hmm, okay, mother-in-law I don't have, I, you know, <laughs> Ray, you want to come up and tell a mother-in-law a joke? <laughs> 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 all right, everybody at John chapter 20, now we're going to talk about new creation and we're going to talk about really how to cooperate with new creation, if that makes sense, all right? Uh, Let's read this or I'll read it and you can listen really quietly, even quieter. (laughs) Okay. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anybody's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Yeah, we want to talk a little bit this morning about living in new creation, cooperating with new creation. And uh, before we get there, I want to say a couple things just about how the scriptures work. So that you can be on board with me a little bit more. Uh, The Scriptures are really fantastic. And I'm not just paid to say that because I'm a pastor. They really are fantastic. One of the things that happens through the Scripture is, the Scripture is this really dynamic collection of prophetic images. That's all I can say. There are all these prophetic images that are used over and over again throughout the Scripture. And they're sort of woven into a tapestry. And one of the reasons these images are so important is because they... Um, they build and they add layers, so that when we read something, we we realize that there's a whole there's a whole weight of of meaning packed inside of it. And so, oftentimes, the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures is speaking to us on multiple levels at one time. Does that make any sense? There's all these images. What am I talking about? Okay, there's like this image of like bride and groom. It's it's woven all the way through the Scriptures. It's not a New Testament concept. It's a God concept. It's one of the ways that we that we can get some understanding and can can begin to grab something as big and infinite as God and his kingdom. So we've got we've got bridegroom stuff all the way through the scriptures. It's in the Song of Solomon. The New Testament is called it's called the Bride of Jesus. And Jesus there's these images. And then there's this other image that's really, really common in the scriptures, this image of shepherd. You know, we've got one of the first people you meet in the Bible is Abraham. Everybody remember Abraham? Abraham's a shepherd, right? and that's not an insignificant note it's it's god is beginning to tell us something and then a little bit later moses starts off his career in god as a shepherd and then god calls him to be the leader of his people and he begins to we begin to see this image becoming richer and then by the time we get to david david started off his life as a shepherd and then david began to sing about god and he said you are my shepherd right and the image keeps building It gets richer and then A few hundred years later, we get the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd, right? So there's there's this way that biblical imagery works, and it's really important because it makes the Scriptures scriptures richer. It gives us multiple windows of understanding and insight. So this is one of the main reasons that everybody needs to be a student of the Scriptures because we need to have these images on board. And uh, the reason I bring all this up is because the Gospel of John is full of these sorts of images. John is almost always speaking to us on multiple levels at the same time, and uh, they draw us back to these sort of moments when we can, when we have added depth of view and a, and a richness that wouldn't be possible any of any other way. And one of the things that I, I feel like this is so important. One of the reasons it's so important is because. Um, it makes the story, it makes God's story even greater. It's the greatness of God's story woven across millennia. And one of the things that the, the American church in particular is sick from, it's, it's sick because we have reduced the gospel too much and we've actually made it too simple. We actually have. You'll hear, you'll hear a lot of pastors say, you know, we just need to make the gospel simpler. You know what you need to do in a postmodern age? We need to make it as rich and as complex as it actually is. It actually is. And this is one of the reasons that biblical imagery is so important. It, it gives us a depth of view. And it, it, one of the things that's happened in the American church, in our effort to make things simple, we've actually abbreviated the greatness out of the gospel. We have. We just want to make it smaller so that everybody can get it. Make it smaller so anyone can pick it up. And we end up abbreviating out the greatness of God's story. We, we abbreviate it out and we don't get the full view. And it's the full, full view that captures our heart. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is we've got an entire church in America who thinks that resurrection is just about not going to hell. See, resurrection is about not going to hell. And a lot more. And so, so much more. See, if you only believe that resurrection is about not going to hell, you'll eventually get bored and you'll find something else. Yeah, it's the oversimplification of the gospel. And so what we want to do is we want to to weave in those Those threads that make the tapestry rich and captivating. And what I want to tell you this morning is that this scripture here in John chapter 20 is another prophetic echo of new creation. See, the resurrection is about not going to hell when you die. It is about having your sins forgiven. But it's really, really about God resurrecting, recreating, and renewing everything. Even creation. It's about new creation. And so this is one of those moments here in John 20 when Jesus is with his disciples. It's another prophetic echo out of the book of Genesis. The Gospel of John here in chapter 20 has two distinct prophetic echoes of the, of the book of Genesis, especially the very beginning when God created the universe. Now, I want you to capture this with me because it's really important. Right before this, if you look in your, in your Bible, just up a few verses, it's the story of when Mary Magdalene encounters the Lord Jesus. We even read it last week. Y'all remember that? This is really great. So I want you to get this. They're in the garden. Jesus was buried in the garden tomb. She's gone to see where they laid him. He's not there. She's crying, and then somebody behind her says, Why are you crying? And she turns around, and John is the only one who captures this for us. John says, She assumed it was the gardener. Now I want to tell you something. There are no there are no throwaway lines in the scriptures anywhere. That is a prophetic echo of the book of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth and He created man. Here's what we've got. We've got, we've got Jesus resurrected from the garden tomb. We've got Mary, the first person who meets Him. She turns around, doesn't recognize Him because He's what? New creation. He's got glory on Him. She doesn't recognize Him. She assumes He's the gardener. Can I tell you something? He actually is the gardener. He's the second Adam. Like the first Adam was called to tend a garden. This is Jesus beginning to tend what? New creation. The first garden, Eve, was deceived. And the second, new creation garden, Mary is the first one enlightened. See, John is telling us something much more about what what resurrection is all about. This is not just about not going to hell. This is about heaven coming to earth. That's the first echo. I love that. Let me just tell you something else. It really has nothing to do with my message this morning, but the kingdom of heaven is all about liberty. And so we'll just go ahead and make this point too. The first person who meets the resurrected Lord Jesus is a woman. This is really powerful. You understand that in in this day and age... That there was a highly patriarchal society, which essentially meant that women had no standing whatsoever. Okay, the first person who meets the resurrected Lord is a woman, and he tells her, "You go tell the apostles." So Mary becomes the apostle to the apostles. <laughs> not only that, it actually gets better than that. Je- uh, women were not allowed to testify in court because their because their testimony it, it didn't count. I mean, you know, was, women were essentially property, so the, their testimony meant nothing in court. So here's Jesus telling her. You go tell the apostles, okay? And then John writes it down for us. This is really important. The reason it's important is because it's one of the inside textual clues that this is a real story that really happened. Because if it didn't really happen, John, a product of patriarchal society and a man himself, wouldn't have put it in there because it makes it look bad, right? You get it? What what does that tell us? It tells us that the resurrection is real. It's so real that people would put things in that they wouldn't normally put in. It's really great. The resurrection is real. New creation is real. And so here's what we have. we got Mary at the garden tomb in the presence of Jesus. And the reason she doesn't recognize Him is because Jesus has glory on Him. Now our passage this morning contains another such echo. Some of you guys who are Bible students have probably already caught it. The disciples are in the this room and they've locked the door because they're afraid that they're going to get whacked. Jesus appears and He says, Peace to you. They're overjoyed. And He says, As the Father sent Me, I'm sending you. And then what does Jesus do? He breathes on them. Isn't that weird? He breathes on them. He says, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, that's another prophetic echo of the beginning of Genesis when the Father breathed the breath of life into Adam. This is, a, this is a new creation moment. This is, this is not just go, not going to hell when you die. This is not just having your f- sins forgiven. This is God doing a brand new thing in the earth. It is God finally seeing His plan come together. It is God restoring everything that had been touched by decay. So it's about all things new. It's about a brand new life. It's about having our sins forgiven it's about not going to hell it's about being with god forever it's about all of creation it's about the birds in the air and the grass and the fields being restored it's about being renewed to original purpose it's about all of the created order being filled with glory now i want you to think about something think about the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen we have a lot of them out where i live uh, any of you guys ever been to like some Caribbean island and watched the sun just melt into the ocean? That's pretty awesome. And anybody in here ever been to Hawaii? And you know that's pretty awesome. Josh says it's awesome. He's confirmed. <laughs> anybody ever been? Uh, I went there this year. Anybody ever been to Montana when it just snowed 36 inches? And s- have you ever seen an entire a thousand head of elk run across the canyon? That's pretty awesome. Can I tell you what all of those things are? All of those things are a shadow. As good as it is, it's merely a shadow. It's not even compared to what's going to happen when God recreates and renews the earth. The best thing that you've ever seen in your whole life is just a shadow. Anyone ever been anyone ever sat at the dinner table with their family and eaten a magnificent dinner and laughed so hard that like someone shot food out of their nose?
1: We have, I mean, I don't,
0: we have, I mean, it's, it's not uncommon even. We just throw a napkin over that and go on. <laughs> yeah, the best family moment you ever had in your entire life, is just a shadow. It's going to get better. It's going to get infinitely infinitely better it's going to get richer it's going to get more dynamic everything you've seen up to this point is as good as it can be without the glory of God touching it it's about to become glorious the best sunset you've ever seen the best time you've ever had with your family it's just the first light anybody ever woken up so early in the morning in the morning that you could see the first ray of light come over the horizon the most the most amazing thing you've ever seen or experienced is the first ray of light appearing on the horizon. It's just a shadow. See, with Jesus' resurrection, come on, music stand, work with me. Jesus' resurrection, it began a brand new day. And everything that we've experienced up to this point is a shadow, and it's, it's the beginning of something new. It's that first ray of light coming over the horizon. And this is why it says in Romans 8 it's why Paul writes that that creation is groaning that the sons of God would be revealed it's gro- creation is in Paul goes on to say that creation is in birth pains right now When it's talking about the sons of God being revealed, it's not talking about super Christians appearing. It's talking about the resurrection of the dead. It's talking about that time when God's glory begins to touch the earth and people are alive forever and God's glory has renewed and recreated everything. Right now, even the earth is groaning like a woman who's about to have a baby. Why is she groaning? Because Jesus has already come up. It's already started. That's why. Like, it's not just a future event with the resurrection of Jesus. The future has come into the present, and it's a current happening event already. It's why in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, why don't we put that up? I love this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Uh, he writes this. He says, See what a great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us... Is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, this is the important part. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Ah! What's the difference? The difference is resurrection glory hasn't fully captured us yet. We've been planted, we've got a seed on the inside, but something radical is on the horizon. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. See, we're living right before the dawn. Jesus is that first ray of light on the horizon, and we're living in the very beginning of a new season in all the ages. See, we're living in a new, we're living in a new season in all the ages. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus is the first fruits. If Jesus is the first fruits, then there's other fruits behind Him. Like, if Jesus is the first ripe strawberry... See, I grew up on a strawberry farm. I remember what that was like. When you see one ripe strawberry in the field, you go ahead and get excited because you know the whole patch is about to get ripe. You know? Come on with that. See, it says that there is a a new season in all the ages. Um, Not only that, but Paul goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. How many of you know the reason that the firstborn is such a big deal in the Scripture is because when the firstborn comes, he makes a way for other siblings behind him. It's the reason that barrenness is a curse. Jesus has opened the womb of heaven and others will follow. See, we're living in a brand new season. The earth was in permanent winter, but now it's thawing out. And there are implications to new creation. There are implications to living in a new season. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are things that you can do and that you should do in May, June, and July that you shouldn't do in December and January. Right? Nobody goes out and sows seed in January. That's just stupid. But if you don't put your seed in the ground in May, well, that's equally as stupid. See, there are, there are implications to living in new creation. And new creation has already started. The season has actually already begun. And there are, there are things you can do now that you couldn't do before. There are things you should do now that you shouldn't do before. See, the light the light is dawning. And since the light is dawning, what that means is darkness is becoming obsolete. And so to align myself with darkness is to align myself with something that's going permanently out of fashion. This is why holiness is a big deal. It's not not just because I don't want to make God angry. It's because it's the way the universe is going and if you're not holy, you are aligning yourself with what's becoming obsolete. We're getting ready to go into permanent light. The sun is coming up. Like if we just, if we continue to live from like base desire, just the base desire animalistic desires of whatever it means to be a human, then we're aligning ourselves with a way that's going out of fashion and will be completely irrelevant and non-compatible with the sun that is actually coming up. And it doesn't just have holiness issues either. It actually has a lot to do with like just religion and trying hard. Like see, some of us have got like... I had a vision this week. I had a vision of some of us. We have like those spelunking lights on our heads and we're out you know because we need to we need to work hard so we can see and all this sort of thing dude just take it off the light's coming up it's time to take that thing off so are things you should do in may june and july that you shouldn't in december This morning I want to talk about four ways, really quickly, about how you cooperate with new creation. If there's any super Christians here who want to take notes, I'm going to give you four ways. And it's okay, you can use your iPhone, I won't think you're just looking at Facebook. Seriously. Four ways to cooperate with new creation. We see it in this passage In John chapter 20, Uh, the the number one way, and it's the essential elemental way to begin to cooperate with new creation is by getting a revelation of the resurrected Jesus. I love this. It's actually, this is actually gospel comedy here. If you can picture this Uh, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They were behind locked doors because this is the math that they had done. And it's pretty good reasoning. Okay? Jesus has just been crucified, right? Beaten up, nailed to a cross, dead. They haven't met resurrected Jesus yet. They're about to. And so they're all together and they've locked the doors. I love this. And then Jesus just appears through the doors. So you're scared you're afraid scared. I like that. You're you're afraid of, of Jewish leaders. And then Jesus comes and does something actually much scarier. Apparently resurrected Jesus can just appear and disappear. Luke 24 says that when they were breaking bread with him, the guys on the road to Emmaus when they broke bread with him, Jesus what? Disappeared. Resurrected Jesus, he can just he can just show up. He could show up this morning. I mean, he's here, but he could be more here. Yeah. He really could. I love this. And we know that it was scary because Jesus tells them two times in four verses peace be with you. They were freaked. That's Bible speak for quit being so freaked out. That actually has implications. I want you to realize this that when you begin to to posture your life to live in new creation, it's actually going to be scarier than it is to live in normal creation. You, there, there's a kind of courage required to live in new creation that is not required to live in old creation. And so everyone who, is, who has set and determined themselves to live in new creation is going to have to deal with this very issue and it's going to have to deal with living in heavenly places and it's going to have to deal with supernatural aspects of who God is, supernatural possibilities Supernatural, this supernatural, that—it's actually much, much scarier. It's the reason Jesus says, "Peace be with you." Yeah. By the way, there are no cowards in the Bible. No cowards in the Bible. That's a word in itself. The kingdom of heaven values a certain kind of heart, a certain kind of lifestyle. And it's the courageous, overcoming lifestyle. There's a certain kind of courage it takes to live in new creation. How many of you have ever had an experience where you were more scared of Jesus than you were your regular everyday life? I've had a couple. Mike Ostrander and I, we dipped our toe in new creation one time. Freaked me out. Now you're wondering what we did. well we were in a we were in a hotel room <laughs> it was really late and we're in those little like mike's got his double bed i got my double bed and mike's like you tired i'm like yeah i'm tired i don't know if you're it exactly like this, but this is basically how it happened <laughs> and then we said we got this idea you know what we should do we should just pray in the spirit for a few minutes so we began to pray in the spirit and the spirit came And then the Holy Spirit came some more. And then the Holy Spirit came some more. And then all I can tell you in a pitch black room, all I can tell you is I became very, very aware that the resurrected Jesus was in the room with us. And I became so scared that I put my head under my pillow. I don't know what Mike was doing. I just know I was under my pillow. But even I could feel his presence. Have you ever been somewhere where you didn't know the other person was in the room, but then you feel them in the room. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. That is your spirit being alive to other spirits around. Okay. That's not just fake. It's real. Like you can be, you can be aware of people in a room with you that you can't see. And I had that feeling. It was like, Oh, so Mike and I, incredible fear gripped me, but then we got the good sense uh, to, to bless the Lord. And we began to bless the Lord. And Jesus stayed with us in this room for 30 minutes. He didn't say a word. He didn't do anything, and both of us ended up having visions without knowing it. We had the exact same vision. We couldn't see anything, but the bottom of his feet and the robes that went around him. And um, and it, the craziest thing is, as quickly as he came, he left. And Mike and I are in a room at two or three in the morning, and we're shouting at the top of our lungs, "Don't go, Jesus! Don't go!" <laughs> Yeah, see, new creation's scarier, but after you get used to it, it's better. See, and the beginning of living in new creation is is the beginning of having a revelation of the resurrected Jesus. Now, I make the point here of saying the resurrected Jesus on purpose. It's not having a resu- it's not having a revelation of just plain old Jesus. You realize you can have a, you can have a revelation of plain old Jesus. He can be a historical fact. You can go in and you can read Josephus. Like, Jesus is a person in history. There are lots of people all over the earth who believe in the historical Jesus but do not believe in the resurrected Lord. See, you can't live in new creation until you believe in the resurrected Lord. See, even demons in hell believe in historical Jesus. You know? Really, they do. Even demons in hell know about resurrected Jesus. They just don't believe He's Lord. And until you have an encounter with resurrected Jesus, a revelation of resurrected Jesus, and He is your Lord, you're cutting yourself off from new creation. That's the difference between knowing about Jesus and being born again. It's submitting to resurrected Jesus. You see what it says? It says that He showed them His hands and His side. What's the point? This isn't regular Jesus. This is reg- resurrected glory Jesus. And that's a different Jesus. You know what I mean. Some of you are like, well, I don't know about that. You know what I mean. If you can take the way I'm saying, if things that I'm saying can be either taken stupidly or intelligently, I want you to take them intelligently. Always. I'm going to believe the best about you. I want you to believe the best about me. See, this kind of revelation is about the Jesus who was dead but's now alive and he's the Lord of everything. There's two keys to being able to maintain and have to being able to have and then maintain a revelation of the resurrected Jesus and the first key is this uh is is really simple is that he can and he will come into any situation it's hard for us to put ourselves in this picture because we know the whole story and once you know something it's hard to unknow it so we know we we know the end of the story oh yeah Jesus got up oh. you know and it's hard to not know that. But at this point, if you can imagine being one of the ten disciples who are left, they don't know that Jesus is up. They really don't. They're in the they're in a room together, and they are freaked out, and they are scared, and they really do assume that they're the next to die. They think this is it. I, you know, they're riding wheels. That's what they're in the riding wheels. Peter used to have that sword, yeah, but I've only got one. You know, and this is literally the math that's happening right now, right? It's, it's actually the worst moment that they've ever experienced in their entire life. Aside from perhaps seeing the Lord Jesus murdered, this is probably one of the worst moments of their entire life. And that's when Jesus shows up. Resurrected, Son of God, Lord of everything. That's when He shows up. Like, if you're going to live in new creation, if you're going to have a revelation of the Lord Jesus, who's resurrected from the dead and will never, ever die again... If you're going to have a a revelation of that, you have to have a worldview that says Jesus can step into any situation. Not only that, but that he can, but have eyes to see him. He's always present. It doesn't matter if things are good or if things are bad. God is always present. He's never not present. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. David said in the Psalms, where can I go to escape from your presence, God? Like if David knew that in the Old Testament, how much more resurrected Jesus who's everywhere all the time? But a lot of us live with this worldview that says, you know, like revelation only comes like when Hannah's killing it. And then maybe when Adam lays on the floor and Hannah's killing it and Matt's doing the thing that Matt does. That's when I get revelation. Well, then you're 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 living your life in the point 0.1%. This is only point 0.1% of my life. I love it. I I absolutely love it. Want to do more of it but it's only 0.1% of my life. What about the other 99.9? If you don't have eyes to see the Lord in those situations anytime, anywhere, then you don't have eyes to see Him calling you into new creation. There's all this new creation life going on all the time. You don't even see it. See, here's the thing about life. There's There's enough stuff happening in life. You can find whatever you want. You really can. If you want life to be crappy, just look around. There's tons of crappy stuff happening. It's easy. Turn on the news for a minute. You'll get sufficiently depressed. At the same time, if you want to live in new creation, if you want to see those first rays of light breaking over the horizon, they're breaking out everywhere. You just have to look for them. Worst moment ever, resurrected Jesus is there. So number one, He can and He will come in any situation. Not only that, but He likes taking light into dark places. That's actually his preference. Like one of the ways you have an encounter with the resurrected Lord is just go start hanging out in some dark places. Yeah, he's already there. He is. Okay, number two key. You actually need new eyes. You need new eyes. Uh, And what I mean here is you need a new worldview. You need new eyes to see the resurrected Jesus. Uh, If you look through the Gospels there at the end, uh, one of the things that's consistent through all four Gospels is that everybody who meets resurrected Jesus doesn't recognize Him. Why? Well, the, the just like Bible answer is He has glory on Him, okay? And we've never seen glory, so when you see glory, you don't recognize Him. He looks different. He's familiar, but He's different. What's the point? It's really... This has lots of application for us. Um, the application is, is this, that God's always at work. He's at work right now, and the real issue is, can I see Him? Do I have eyes for it? See, um... I can't necessarily tell you what the next thing God is going to do is going to be like. I can't really necessarily tell you what the next move of God is going to look like. But I can absolutely tell you what it's not going to look like. It not going to look like Toronto. It ain't going it to look like Jesus People days. It isn't going to look like John Wimber. It isn't going to look like anything you've ever seen in the past. It isn't going to look like John Wesley. It isn't going to look like. Um, it isn't going to look like um, Billy Graham. It didn't, because if you have a worldview that only sees. The resurrected Jesus at work in a Billy Graham stadium—it's the only thing you're going to be able to see. God's already moved on. He's—he's got—he's got a different appearance. God is always doing a new thing, a different way. He never healed people the same twice. Uh, when he shows up, people can't recognize him. Why? Because they're used to the way he used to look, the things Jesus used to do. Uh, you know, I remember when Jesus was really moving in the '70s, and we could just like sing "Kumbaya" and then ask somebody if they'd like to read the Bible study, and people would meet the Lord. Man, I ain't the way it works anymore. And if you are—if you are attached to that kind of world, for you. Jesus has already passed you up. And you probably won't see much. You live a frustrated life. You need new eyes. <laughs> you do. You absolutely do. We're living in a postmodern, post-religious, post-Christian world where people think that religion is the problem, not the answer. See, in the 1970s, people still had, a re- still had a reverence for religion. They don't anymore. If you're expecting Jesus to work in the same places, the same ways that He used to, He's already moved on. You're out of luck. You know, if you're looking for Jesus to have like a a Holy Ghost revival like they did in Toronto and have a Hottie Baker moment so you can come up and lay on the floor for seven days and then go to Africa and change the world, ain't going to happen. He's already done that. He's doing something new. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are tons of people trying to be Hottie Baker and God's like, dude, I'm like over here. I'm doing something. That was cool. I blessed that. I'm still doing that, but I want to do something new. But if you've only got eyes for the Heidi Baker model, fall on the floor, lay for seven days, have your husband carry you in and out of the meeting, then you, you're working off of a model that is, that is gone. Resurrected Jesus. He's got glory. It looks different. You know? It is good. I ain't lying. I ain't lying. You know, one of the things... Pro- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, we live in an American culture that is, that is capitalizing more and more on big. Have the big thing. Do the big thing. Be the big thing. Be the big the You know what? One of the places where God's working? Small. But nobody can see small. Nobody likes small. Small won't make you famous. And that's exactly where God's working right now. I'll tell you right now, small. Get together with one or two people. Live a real life. Don't be a jerk. Do the same things on Tuesday that you do on Sunday. Jesus is working in that. It won't make you famous. You won't get a bus. You won't be on the internet. Nobody will call you to preach a meeting. But you'll be with Him. You know actually one of the things that's killing the church we talked about this in vineyard values this morning one of the things that's killing the american church is celebrity christianity you know what happens when pastors become celebrities one of the things that happens when pastors become celebrities is pastors become uh the people who are required to entertain you and then pretty soon pastors are just characters and they're acting out a role jesus ain't doing that anymore he just didn't do that he just moved on like you know, people love him, and God is so good that he'll use anybody, you know. You can get up and you can be a celebrity Christian, and people still get changed. But God is actually doing something radically different, and it has way more to do with small than it does big. Because we've have, we, we got eyes that are looking for same old Jesus, you know. No, Jesus, he's resurrected. He's got glory. He's doing different stuff. That was the first way that you cooperate with new creation. And it, ta- it took the longest, I'll tell you that. The other ones are much quicker. I'm shaky this morning. I feel like I've got a badger in my arms. Some of the visitors are uncomfortable if the pastor has a badger in his arm. I'd like to apologize to those people this morning. It's really okay. The second way that you cooperate with new creation is um, you have a heart that's okay with being sent. So the disciples have uh, an encounter with resurrected Lord Jesus. shows them His hands and sides. And then Jesus says, Peace will be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Here's the deal. If you're unwilling to be sent, if you're unwilling to go, if you're unwilling to take territory, if you're unwilling to be a part of God's conquest of old creation with new creation, then you've put yourself out of step with being a part of new creation. Uh, The Bible doesn't have any stories about anyone anywhere where uh, they were, like I said already, there are no cowards in the Bible and everybody who is in the Bible are people who continually say yes to God. And even when they say no, they eventually say yes. And when they say yes, they do something great. And when they do something great, it gets stuck in the book. See, part of the deal is, I want to be in the book. Maybe not this one, but the, the, the bigger one that's being written. There's a bigger Bible that's being written. Some of you are like, no, I'm very uncomfortable with this theology. Well, it's true. There's a bigger book that's being written. It's it, it's really good one. And it's got you and it's got me in it. But one of the things that's required for being in it is the heart that says, if you say go, God, I will go. Like all the people in the Bible who are in there, they're the people who said yes. All the people who said no, Out. New creation is fundamentally about saying yes to God. And here's one of the questions I have. Why did God send the disciples? Why is He sending us? Is it because He needs help? I think this is really great. Does God need help delivering new creation? I would like to declare, God does not need help delivering new creation. God wants help. It's it's really... This is a profound little thing. God doesn't need our help, but He wants our help. And if He wants our help, He must know that if we help, it's good for us. It's somehow good for us. He doesn't need the help, we need it. Um, Not only that, because God knows that everybody in the room needs a purpose in their life. Like, you need a purpose in your life. You know what everybody in here has that makes us common, one of the things? Everybody in here wants to do great things. No, no one is thinking, first thing when they get up in the morning, you know, honey, what I'm looking to do? I'm, I'm just, I'm looking to be more mediocre. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for more average life. Like, something a little more boring. Something that no one will remember. And I'd really like to spend more of my time doing things that don't matter. What do you think, honey? Oh, I, I, me too. I, I, I swear, if we could just live a more pathetic life, it would be really good. <laughs> no one does that. No one, no one ever does that. It's one of the cool things I love about the disciples. Uh, everyone beats up on the disciples for this stuff. And I get it. It's wrong. I mean, Jesus does correct them. But I think it's, there's something more to it. Like, the disciples are always arguing about what? Who's the greatest, right? And I get it, yes, that doesn't work in the kingdom of heaven because the least are the greatest. No argument here. But it does say something. There's something else in there. What is it? It's that when you get around Jesus, you start thinking about great stuff. And then he has to train you how to to apprehend and grab it. He does. But there's something about being around the Lord. There's something about being in the kingdom of heaven that will cause you to think great thoughts. If you're going to church for 20 years and you've never thought about doing something great, you need to leave that church. You can leave this one. Like if you've been here, you have my permission. Like, if you've never, if, if being here hasn't been compelling enough, being in God's presence with God's people hasn't been compelling enough that you've ever thought, you know what I want to do? I want to do something great, something impossible, something stupid, something my mom's going to make fun of me for, something my dad's going to try to talk me out of. You know? No, you shouldn't do that, son. You need to go be an accountant. What? You know, you, know, you, need, you need dreams that are so big that your father tries to talk you out of them. You do. It's part of being a part of the kingdom of heaven. That's new creation. It is. And it comes from the heart that wants to be sent. No offense to accountants anywhere. <laughs> I love accountants. I need one. See, everybody, everybody needs a purpose in life. It's one of the reasons that God invites us into delivering new creation. Yeah, some of you guys who are here today, you're like completely broken. And you're not just broken, but you're like broken, broken. Like, you're broken is broken. And I know that two negatives make a positive, but in this case it doesn't. It just means you're more broken. My math is impeccable this morning. But you're broken, broken. You know what you need more than anything else in life? You know what will help you out with your issues more than anything else in life? A purpose bigger than your broken. Broken. Yeah, because a lot of people, you just can't get better by get, fixing your broken, broken. That's like 1% of getting better. Most of getting better is having a purpose that's bigger than your broken, broken. And then there's other people in the room, and you're like really rich, and everything's gone really well, and you found out that after 25 years of making a lot of money, that making money is boring and doesn't satisfy. And you know what you need in life? You need a, you need a purpose bigger than making money. You know. And then there's some of you moms who just love your kids. You just love them so much. You just love them, love them, love them. Love them, love them, love them. And if you're on the way home and you're tired and the kids want to go to Walmart, you just take them to Walmart. It doesn't matter. And if they want Legos, you just get them Legos. You know what you, know what you need more than even loving your kids? You need a purpose in life. That it, doesn't not, it doesn't kick your kids out, but you need a purpose for your life that is, that is all-encompassing. Like there's so many, I meet so many bored moms who are like pulling their hair out, and I'm going, you, all you need is a purpose. Being a mom doesn't mean that you have to give up all your purpose. It doesn't. It doesn't. One of the other reasons that Jesus asks us and invites us to be sent is because maturity is found in being a contributor. Uh, The number one difference between being mature and immature is mature people contribute, immature people always take. So if you imagine when you're a baby, you always take, you always take, you always take, because you're a baby. It makes sense. But then when you're 15, you begin to contribute. And your dad says, mow the yard. I don't care if you don't like it, you're going to mow the yard. You're going to contribute, right? And then what he's doing is your dad is preparing you to be a person who can contribute for a family, for other little kids who want to take, take, take. (laughs) And when God invites us into the process, when he says, as I've been sent, now I'm going to send you, what he's actually doing is he's inviting us to grow up. He's inviting us to be a contributor. It's one of the reasons that I ask my boys to help me. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. I ask my boys to help me with things around the house, not because I need their help. I don't need their help. In fact, when I ask them to help me, it takes us longer. I can do it quicker without them. But what I'm doing is, is I'm providing an atmosphere and an opportunity for them to grow up so that in a few years, they're contributors without me being around. See, we imitate. Jesus is saying, come on, imitate me. If you imitate me, you'll be like me. The other implication here of being sent is is this nobody in the kingdom of heaven gets to rule what they don't love. Now I'm going to step on toes for a minute. Nobody gets to rule what they don't love. That's what Jesus is really saying. He says, As I've been sent, I'm sending you. I'm sending you I'm sending you into dark places to take light. I'm sending you not just to rule it, but I'm sending you to first love it. You don't you don't get the authority to rule until you have the heart that loves. Husbands, husbands, yes. See, husbands don't get the rule of family that they don't love. See, it's inappropriate. It's not about just having authority and saying, well, I'm going to do this. No, your first call is to love. Love your wife like Jesus loved the church. This is why the Lord Jesus said that the first are last and the last are first. So number one, cooperating with new creation means having a revelation of the resurrected Jesus. Number two, it means having a heart that just says yes, that wants to cooperate with being sent. And then number three, it's in verse 22. It says that Jesus, after he gives them a mission, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. And that's when the power came in. So anytime you see mission in the Bible, there will always be power, always power. Anytime you read about mission in the Bible, there's a few verses either right before it or right after it. They'll always be about power. Why? Because in order to do kingdom of heaven stuff, you need power. You need Holy Spirit. If you are committed to a mission without being committed to the Holy Spirit, being the enabler, what you're committed to is the mission that you can carry on your own. All right? And God is saying here in this moment, if you're going to be a part of new creation, you've got to have a a, a revelation of of the resurrected Jesus You've got to be able to... What is number two? You've got to be sent. And then number three, you've got to have power for the mission. It, come, it comes with a heart that says, that welcomes the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're precious. You're, you're not freaky. You're not that part of the Trinity that I'm scared of. You're the one I want. Please, God, come closer into my life. Yeah. Yeah. See, the book of Genesis says that it was... The Spirit that hovered over creational waters. It hovered over creational waters. See, if you're going to bring creation, new creation into creation, you, you need to partner with the Holy Spirit. You need to say, this is a prayer I sometimes pray. Holy Spirit, would you just come and hover over me? I know it sounds really new age. It's not. It's totally legal. It's, it's an alternative biblical experience. Holy Spirit, come and hover over me. Holy Spirit, why don't you and I go hover over this really thing, this really horrible thing in my office? Let's go bring new creation into that moment. It means partnering with the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, the really odd saying of Jesus here. He says, if you forgive anybody's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're not forgiven. Hardcore Jesus. Uh, first thing I'd like to say is Jesus isn't joking. <laughs> One of the things we like to do with these kinds of sayings of Jesus is we like to like round them off and go, well, it's not really what he meant. It's just like in the first century, like Greek, like in the jewish mind like you know like they would say really offensive things but they didn't mean it they actually meant the opposite and so it's okay everyone's going to be forgiven and like you don't have a part in it that's what we do right that's what we do we do that like jesus says something really hardcore and people are like well it's not really what he meant he's just doing something different he's just i know it's it's embarrassing we shouldn't no jesus really meant it if you forgive people they'll be forgiven if you don't they're not what's he saying this is really important He's saying, I'm giving you a mission, I'm giving you the power to do it, and I'm giving you the authority to do it. See, what good is a mission with the power if you don't have the right to do it? He's actually highlighting that not only are, am I putting you on mission, not only am I empowering you, making you able to do it, but I'm giving you heaven's blessing to go do it. That you're actually a part of the forgiveness process here. You're a part of not counting men's sins against them. Paul says it like this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if anybody be in Christ, he's a... New creation. And then he goes on the next verse and says, Christ reconciled the world, and now you're what? Ministers of reconciliation. Same thing. Same thing. Same story. Different spots in the Word. We've been called to mission. We've been called to have an encounter with the resurrected Lord. He's given us a mission. He wants to fill us with the Spirit to empower us for that mission. And then He's already given us the authority. He's deputized us. Amen? Amen? Amen. stand up with me.